From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. The debate over Pluto's planethood has been reinvigorated once again, thanks to a new paper co-authored by a University of Central Florida planetary scientist. Back in 2006, the International Astronomical Union adopted new classification rules. In order for an object to be considered a planet, it must be the largest gravitational force in its orbit. In Pluto's case, its orbit is influenced by neighboring Neptune, so, according to the IAU, what was once our ninth planet is no longer a planet. Instead, Pluto is classified as a dwarf planet. Phil Metzger co-authored the paper that is re-examining the debate. He is a planetary scientist at the Florida Space Institute at UCF, conveniently right down the road from our studio. So he stopped by to talk about the paper and the case for classifying planets. For the longest time, we only had a small countable number of planets in our solar system from as long as we could remember from being kids. And then telescopes got better and techniques got better and astronomers started discovering these other planet-sized bodies beyond Pluto. And this brought about a crisis, partly because they needed to figure out who would get to name these planets. Would the discoverers name them? Or were these going to be classified as small bodies like asteroids, in which case there was a bureaucratic process to name them? So this is all about naming rights, huh? I think that was part of it, yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So what happened to Pluto in, in 2006 then? What, what, what was the criteria that it, it didn't hit, or, or why was it declassified as, as one of those nine planets that we grew up reciting? The argument was made around 2006 that asteroids had originally been planets, which is true. And they told us in 2006 that as quickly as astronomers started realizing that there are lots of asteroids sharing the same orbit, then the astronomers reconsidered and decided that asteroids are not planets because there is this unwritten assumption that a planet has to dominate its orbit. And so we all believed the argument was correct. We thought it was factually true. And so they voted on this and they said because Asteroids share their orbit and they're not planets. Therefore, also Pluto and the other Kuiper Belt objects sharing orbits should not be planets. And by dominating orbit, what do you mean by that? It's hard to describe exactly what that means. There are a couple of metrics that have been written in math to make it a formal definition. But the International Astronomical Union has not adopted a formal definition of what they mean. So right now, it's kind of a sloppy definition. It just says they have to clear their orbit, meaning the planet, as it goes around the sun, has to gravitationally fling all the other material away from itself. One of these definitions of gravitational dominance says that the planet has to do it within a certain amount of time, It has to fling these other bodies at least a certain distance away from itself, and they've made it very mathematical to say Mm -hmm. what it is. So this would be like if an asteroid was coming around it or something like that, it would be flung away from it as opposed to being influenced by it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there are lots of things moving around in the solar system. The Earth is impacted by asteroids all the time, and no body in space clears its orbit completely. Mm -hmm. So they came up with some arbitrary definition that says if it can fling stuff away from itself more than a certain amount, then we will call it a planet. Mm -hmm. Now, it's no surprise you do not agree with the IAU's definition of of planet, right? What's your argument here that that you've laid out in this paper? 
Okay, so this is a new argument. There are other arguments, but this new argument was simply an effort to fact-check what happened in 2006. We went back to the literature and we asked, is it true that astronomers stopped calling asteroids planets because they share orbits with each other? It turns out it's not true. It's not even close to being true. Astronomers knew that there were 15 planets by the 1870s, and by the 1900s, we knew of hundreds and then thousands of asteroids that are all sharing orbits. But all throughout this period, astronomers called them planets. In fact, as recently as the 1950s, they were still being called planets. You can even find this in the writings of the International Astronomical Union. You can find where they'll say, if a planet crosses the orbit of Mars, then we need to take certain measurements on that planet. And, of course, they were talking about asteroids. Mm -hmm. It turns out that astronomers did stop calling them planets in the 1950s. And so we also researched why. What was the change that made asteroids become non-planets? And it had nothing to do with sharing of orbits. It was because about 1953, Gerard Kuiper, for whom the Kuiper Belt is named, wrote a paper about planet formation. And in this paper, he argued that there could be two different classes of bodies in the solar system, ones that became protoplanets, meaning they were large lumps of gas in the solar nebula, which then condensed and formed round spherical-shaped planets. But there could also be these small leftover material lumps, which form by a process called accretion. And so these little lumpy leftover bodies would never have been a protoplanet. They would simply be lumpy leftover stuff. They're not large like a planet. They're not spherical. They don't have all the complicated geology that a planet has. And so starting with that paper, Gerard Kuiper changed his terminology and stopped calling asteroids planets. And every theoretician following him did the same change. But also in the observational papers where astronomers are looking at all the bodies in the solar system, this is where our astronomy got so much better that we could see the shapes of the asteroids. We started doing spectroscopic studies. We started looking at the geology of these bodies. And it became clear that these asteroids are very unplanet-like according to the concept of a planet that we have had since Galileo. Mm -hmm. And that marked the change. It was really... Because of the geophysical differences, asteroids were no longer planets. And if you apply that to Pluto, Pluto shares orbits, but that was irrelevant. The question is, is it geophysically like a planet? Right. And of course, it's like a planet. We it's can the... see the spherical pictures that are coming back. Absolutely. So I was invited as a guest to be at the Johns Hopkins University with my daughter when the flyby occurred because the head of the mission is a friend. And this is the flyby of New Horizons. That's right. So Alan Stern gave me a guest pass and I was there with my daughter. And there was a real risk that when the spacecraft flew by Pluto and we got the first pictures... It could be a featureless cue ball mm -hmm. just covered with white snow and nothing interesting to look at. There was a real risk of that, you know, and they'd spent all this money putting together the mission and all these years building it and waiting for it to get there. But when that picture came back, the room erupted with shouting and crying. There was so much emotion. I Even today when I think about it, I feel tears welling up in my eyes because that picture of Pluto showed that it is the second most geologically complex 
solid body planet in our solar system, only the Earth is more Earth-like mm-hmm. than Pluto. Mm-hmm. So the IAU's looking at a definition as to how it interacts with, with other objects near it, whereas you're arguing the definition should be more geological, right? It should be more, if it's a sphere, then it's a planet. That's right, because if you want to classify an object, then you should be looking at what the object actually is, not at what its neighbors are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when a planet is unable to clear its orbit, the reason it can't clear its orbit is because it never interacts with the other stuff. Mm-hmm. It it takes too long to go around the sun, and so it gives little gravitational kicks too infrequently. So all the other stuff that is supposedly near the orbit of Pluto is not interacting with Pluto. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying Pluto is not a planet because there is stuff out there that doesn't interact with Pluto that Pluto doesn't even know is there. So how is that even relevant to studying Pluto? The the impact rate on Pluto is not an order of magnitude different than it is on the Earth. You know, they both have roughly the same rate of, of small bodies impacting on the surface. Um, there's really no effect caused by its inability to clear this gigantic amount of space. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would argue that the orbit of Pluto is probably far more clear than the orbit of Earth. Mm -hmm. People always say that Neptune um, is crossed by Pluto. Well, if you put it on a two-dimensional picture, it looks like Pluto crosses Neptune's orbit, but really goes around it, down under it, and back around it. It doesn't cross the orbit in three dimensions. The closest that Pluto ever gets to Neptune is eight astronomical units. An astronomical unit is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. Well, Jupiter is always, always within four astronomical units of the Earth, twice as close. So if Neptune getting close to Pluto is a problem, and therefore Pluto is not a planet, well, you could say Earth has failed to clear Jupiter, and therefore Earth is not a planet. Mm-hmm. Why does this matter? Why Why is the definition of, of whether or not Pluto is classified as a planet, um, why does it matter to, to planetary sciences? Well, it matters to all science because taxonomy, the process of classifying nature, of creating the the natural categories that describe the physical world, is a vital part of the scientific process. You could think of it like this. Science is a mental construct that we are creating in our minds, hopefully mirroring reality, reality, mirroring nature. And that mental construct consists of nouns and verbs. The nouns are the categories that we talk about, and the verbs are the interreactions between these categories, the hypotheses, the theories of nature. So taxonomy is the process of creating the nouns that are in the scientific theories. If you will go to the the uh, ICZN, the International Count Committee on Zoological Nomenclature, they have a code that describes the rules of creating taxonomy. And one of the rules is that nobody can ever vote or impose any taxonomical category on scientists because every scientist must have taxonomical freedom. They must have the ability to create scientific theories including the categories and the terminology that they use for those categories. So is the IAU the end-all, be-all when it comes to classifying these planets? How much weight do they hold in what their word is? The International Astronomical Union is the international body that names 
that creates constant nomenclature, consistent nomenclature for everything out of, out there in space. And it is some it is a role that we need. Unfortunately, in 2006, they violated their bylaws when they did this vote on Pluto. Their bylaws are intended to ensure that they only create nomenclature where there is broad consensus. And their bylaws say that they are supposed to spend six months circulating the proposed language that they're going to vote on so that all the communities who have a stake in it have a chance to review and provide input. And if they don't do the six-month review, they're not allowed to vote on it at the convention, at the assembly. Well, they actually did that review, and the Division of Planetary Scientists put several planetary scientists on the committee. They created a definition. The definition would have been respectful to Galileo's original definition of a planet, the one that we have had for centuries, um, and it would have kept Pluto as a planet. But at the convention, there was a rebellion on the floor from some of the delegates. They whipped up a lot of emotion on the issue. They voted down the original proposal that planetary scientists had helped formulate. And on the spot, they created a new definition and voted on it without the review of the community. And this has created a lot of anger. And it's never going to go away mm-hmm. um, until eventually the IAU realizes it shouldn't have done this. That mm-hmm. there there is no consensus on the definition of a planet, and therefore they shouldn't have voted on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think people realize how divisive this is in, in planetary sciences, right? I mean, what what are critics saying to to your recent publication in Icarus about your argument to reclassify Pluto and, and other bodies like that as a planet? I haven't really heard a lot of criticism yet, although I know it's going to come. The one thing I've heard so far is that we should stop calling bodies like Pluto a planet and instead call it a world. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, we can find common ground if we agree that we will say that every round body in space is a world, but only those that clear their orbit are planets. Unfortunately, that's a really, really bad idea. And uh, I don't know if I can think of all the reasons off the top of my head, but here are a couple of the top reasons. For one thing... We have a lot of adjectives in planetary science. We say the planetary boundary layer of Titan. We say it has a planetary core, a planetary crust. And the the reason we say Titan has a planetary boundary layer is because historically Titan has always been a planet. When Huygens discovered Titan, he called it a planet, a secondary planet orbiting its primary planet. And Titan is, is a moon, right? A moon of Saturn, that's right. right. And so... According to the original terminology that came to us from Kepler, a secondary planet is a planet that orbits a primary planet, which is one that orbits the sun. But So dynamically, they're in different subcategories, but as objects, they are the same type of object geophysically. They're Mm -hmm. planets. And so all of our terminology throughout planetary science uses the word planet. And so we, we would not say it has a world boundary layer. We wouldn't say it has a world core or a world diameter. That would be ridiculous. And the reason why is because world is, a, is actually a term that comes from the social sciences. A world is a civilization. Mm-hmm. A world could be the environment of a civilization. And so we say a planet is a world, speaking poetically, because the immersive surface environment of the planet could host life. It could potentially host a civilization And therefore, it's similar to the world that we have on the surface of the Earth. Mm -hmm. But as a geophysical body, 
it's not a world. A world is not a term from geophysics. Mm-hmm. What about an object like Ceres? Right, that, that, that's quite an interesting um, the body that's in our solar system, right? Can you tell us what Ceres is and, and how that kind of fits into the definition of, of planet and the argument there? Sure. So I am um, definitely a believer that Ceres is a planet. I would also say Vesta might be a planet. Vesta mm-hmm. is the second largest asteroid. And the reason why is when Kuiper wrote his paper in 1953, he said any body that started out as a protoplanet is a planet. And he said bodies like Ceres, those are true planets. But mm-hmm. the smaller asteroids, which formed just by accretion without ever being a protoplanet, those are not true planets. And Ceres lives in our asteroid belt, right? Near That's Mars, right. right. Ceres and Vesta are the two largest asteroids in the asteroid belt. And they were both protoplanets. Um, But going beyond Kuiper's argument, the more recent argument is that to be a planet, it needs to meet the basic concept that Galileo gave us, that a planet is a geologically complex body like the Earth. When he pointed his telescope at the moon, he saw mountains. He argued because it has mountains, it's a geological body, and therefore the, the geophysics of space, of the heavens, are the same as the geophysics of the Earth. There are not two separate physics. Therefore, the um, the heavens is the container that contains the Earth, and therefore the Earth goes around the sun. It was based on geophysics that he argued this. And so he gave us the concept of a planet. It's not a dynamical category of stars moving in the sky. Instead, they are geophysical bodies that bear some resemblance to the Earth. By this definition, Ceres is most definitely a planet. It's a large body. It's spherical because of its gravity. It has a core, a mantle, and a crust. And it has active geology. It's got plumes that will eject volatiles into space and leave salt deposits on the surface. So it is a geologically active world. And it seems that this criteria saying when a body is large enough to be um, gravitationally rounded it seems to be about the point where a planet does become geologically active. So it's not just an arbitrary definition. It seems to be a qualitative change in the small, lifeless bodies like asteroids and the large, active bodies like Pluto and Earth, which is what Galileo had in mind when he redefined planets. Mm -hmm. Can the argument be made that now that we're able to discover so many different you know, celestial bodies that there needs to be a more specific taxonomy for all of these different bodies that we're finding, whether they be exoplanets or new stars or whatnot, that it really needs to to come down and and, and be firm and, and detailed as to how we label these. I would say that planetary science has just entered its heyday for taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Back when we thought there were only eight or nine planets, Taxonomy was not a big deal because we knew every planet as an individual. Mm -hmm. But now we know of thousands of planets in the um, other star systems. And we know of at least 150 planets in our solar system, possibly as many as 450. We're going to need a new mnemonic device to remember all of them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not going to remember them all. Um, We're going to have to give up on that, you know. And hey, hey, that's a... That's an indicator that science is making progress. If we could count everything in nature, then we haven't done a lot of science yet, have we? Mm -hmm. So um, I would say that because of the great abundance of planets in our solar system and in the other star systems, 
Planetary science is now the second branch of science where taxonomy is most important. The first branch of science is biology. What do you hope this paper inspires? Do you want the IAU to redefine this or or have that vote um, like you said that they, they didn't do? I mean, what, what do you hope comes out of, out of this paper? Well, if I could have anything I wanted, I would ask the IAU to simply rescind their definition of 2006 and not replace it with anything because taxonomy should not be voted on. Taxonomy should only be developed by consensus in scientific publications and in conferences by using the normal scientific method. And the reason we have developed this scientific method is because we humans are very bad thinkers. We have a lot of biases. The scientific method was invented to try to reduce the effect of our human biases so that over time we can move toward truth in our understanding of nature. Unfortunately, in 2006, when they brought in this voting in a, in a topic where there was not broad consensus, it created division, it created arguments, people took sides, people drew their territory, this is my turf, this is what I defend, and they became emotional about it. And it brought in all the dynamics that the scientific method was supposed to keep out. And because of that, I think it has poisoned the well. I think that it's not going to be possible to get the IAU in a short amount of time to rescind the vote and to give it back to the scientific process to hammer out. Therefore, the thing that I hope will happen, my best hope, is that there will be broad public recognition that voting was a mistake, it should not have been brought in in 2006, that planetary scientists, to a large degree, don't agree with that definition. In fact, I only know maybe one or two who agree with that definition. Most planetary scientists think it's not a good definition. It may not be that important to their lives. They just want to focus on doing science. Mm -hmm. They're not involved in the taxonomy debate. But um, most planetary scientists that I know do not think it's a good definition. So I hope the public will come to understand that. And then I hope the textbooks will be modified. They will stop telling students that there are only eight planets in our solar system because that gives such a poor, denuded view of nature to our students. Um, Like before I told you, there are 150 to 450 planets in our solar system. Did you know that? I didn't know that. (laughs) No, nobody knows that. Nobody knows that because they voted in 2006 to stop calling them planets. And that took the air out of the room. All the excitement left. And people went back to saying, oh, it's just another asteroid belt. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about that public opinion that, that you just spoke about. This debate... It's been divisive in the planetary science community, but it's also been divisive in popular culture. I mean, when when this story first came out in 2006, it's all that people talked about when New Horizons was making its flyby. Pluto was, you know, on on the forefront of, of everyone's minds and, and grabbed headlines. And, and now this, when you look at Twitter and you see that the debate is reinvigorated again, did you expect this kind of public outcry on Pluto. Like, people are really invested in Pluto, right? They're, they're upset. Yeah, I actually did know this was going to happen. Um, I don't know if it's going to be good in the long run to have um, a lot of public arguing over it. 
but I, I did expect it to happen. People love Pluto, um, except the people who think they're taking the high ground by saying Pluto should not be a planet. And I'm sorry if I've just offended you, dear listener, by putting you in that category. But the way I see it is there are people who love Pluto because it's a beautiful planet and they can't imagine saying it's not a planet. And and then there are people who feel like, hey, I'm smarter than the average person and therefore I'm able to understand the IAU definition and therefore I'm going to join the forces that say it's not a planet. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sorry if I offended you by saying that, but I think that's a lot of what's in the um, public energy in this debate. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil Metzger, you're reinvigorating the debate about Pluto once again. Uh, Phil Metzger, he is a planetary scientist at the Florida Space Institute, which is at the University of Central Florida. Dr. Metzger, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more space news online at wmfe.org space. Have a story idea? Space question? Email me. I'm at arewetheryet at wmfe.org or hit me up on Twitter. I'm at spacebrendan. And while you're at it, be sure to rate and review this podcast so more people can explore exploration with us. Until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>